and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight, and today on the show, it is just me. I've just got back from my trip away down to Fiordland. I've been on a boat for the last 10 days, and I've come back and wanted to do a solo episode today while Andrew's in Auckland, talking about all of the data releases that have recently come out. Now, of course, we have had, as we've been banging on during the show, about all of these government changes. Now I want to talk about any of the early effects that we're potentially seeing within the market based on the data we're getting. Now, a couple of things have happened over the last week. First of all, we did have the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand data release. This is the one that comes out every single month. And my main takeaway is it's very hard to get a sense of what any of the data means. Let me go through the reasons why. First of all, I want to start off by mentioning that it was an extraordinarily strong march again. So we're coming off the back of very, very strong price increases, very strong number of properties sold. That's the volume of properties sold. Now, when I go through the numbers with you now, you're going to think, gosh, March was extraordinarily strong. And it was, but I also want to temper that. So first of all, National volumes year on year, we had 9,721 properties sell in March 2021. That's before the government announcements came out in about 24th of March, I believe it was. Now that's 31% more properties sold in March this year compared to last year. Now, even though that's a very big number, why was it such a large increase? What you've got to remember right now and for the next couple of months, as we get more data coming out, is that remember last year we were going into lockdowns. That happened on the 25th of March last year. And in the lead up to that, we were having a lot of media coverage of the coronavirus coming over here, COVID-19, and the potential impacts of that and what it would mean for the economy. So we had a relatively slow March last year. We would have had a very slow April last year, both in terms of price increases and in terms of the volumes of properties that were sold. So as you're looking at year-on-year comparisons over the next couple of months, it's really important to keep in mind that last March, last April, last May were not normal periods. And what that means is you just have to say, a year-on-year comparison probably isn't that useful over the next couple of months going forward. Nonetheless, it was an extraordinarily strong March, even given the fact that for the last week of the month, we were under the cloud of these government announcements. What's important to remember then is that the data that's coming through from Ryan's, remember, is based on unconditional sales being reported through to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. And so somebody who is confirming or going unconditional on the 31st of March, potentially signed that contract a week before the government made its announcements. So it's pretty safe to say, in my view, that most of this March data can be viewed as before the government had made those announcements. And we can see that it was exceptionally strong. There were 12 regions in total that reached record median house prices. Now, remember, this is one of the most volatile measures. So looking at a month-on-month comparison isn't very useful, but it gives you a sense that if we've got 12 regions hitting records in terms of what the median sale prices were, it was still a very hot market. Let's switch over to the house price index, which is the more stable view of what's going on or how monthly house prices are tracking month over month. Now, February, and I don't even believe we did a podcast on this actually, but February was an extraordinary month. We saw the house price index rise about five percentage points. 
that is an enormous amount for the property market to increase by or for average house prices to increase by in a single month. And March was exceptionally strong as well, 2.6% in a single month. Now, by comparison, this is coming off the back of a whole heap of month-on-month price rises. So we had 2.5% back in September 2020, then 3.3% in October, another 3% in November, 2.1% in December, and it goes on and on. And so you can see we've had these exceptionally quick house price increases, as you well know, continuing on, and we saw that again in March. Now, the question is, is the tide going to completely turn and are we going to see that drop down to 0%? Look, certainly in the short term, you can't see that happening over the next couple of months. Why is that? Because the impact of the government changes are still to be felt. Of course, we won't see those happening until October this year where we see those changes start to have an impact. But having said that, one of the key things that we are seeing change in the market is investor sentiment. So we are seeing people, even here at Opus Partners, saying, well, I understand the changes that have currently come through, but what if there are additional changes? What if there are additional rent controls? And we can see those having an impact on investors willing to take a long-term risk given that the current environment is looking a bit unstable. But what we're also seeing is people changing their expectations of where they're going to invest. And that's where I want to delve into our usual regional comparisons. Remember, this is the one we continue to come back to to get a sense of, well, which markets are really, really hot, which ones are coming to the end of their property cycle, and which ones are potentially at the start. Now, of course, a region that's coming to the end of its cyclical price increases has likely seen a lot of house price increases or significant rises over the last couple of years or months, whereas a region that is at the start of its cycle has probably been relatively flat compared to the rest of the country. Now, those regions that have had extraordinary house price growth over the last 12 months, to me, are looking incredibly overpriced. So let's look at Gisborne, for instance. Gisborne is a region that has enormous house price growth over the last couple of years. Just to give you some figures around that. So last year, March 2020, the median sale price in Gisborne was about 402 grand. This year, only 12 months later, it's up at 630 grand. We're looking at almost $230,000 more. Enormous rises. Now, of course, some of that gain is coming from the fact that different houses are selling and perhaps a better quality of properties might have been sold this year compared to last year. And of course, Gisborne is a very small region, so not very many properties are being sold every single month. You know, it might be about 50 properties a month. Nonetheless, that gives you a sense of how large we've seen or how much growth we've seen in a region like Gisborne in a very short space of time. Now, based on where I've seen Gisborne in the past, I'm picking now that Gisborne's about 14% overpriced compared to its long-term average. Over the long term, Gisborne house prices have been about 65% of the national average. Currently, it's sitting at about 74%. So I'm seeing that as very overpriced in my view. Manawatu Wanganui, again, according to Ryan's, this was one of the biggest increases or one of the biggest earners over the last 12 months. It's now looking to me to be about 13% overpriced. Now, I'm not saying that these two regions, Gisborne, Manawatu, Wanganui, are going to peter out to zero or that we're going to necessarily see price decreases in the short term. But what I'm saying is that perhaps in the future, we're going to see better opportunities for capital growth or faster house price increases elsewhere as the market momentum starts to decrease.
Conversely, on the other side, there are some regions which are looking relatively underpriced. Nelson and Marlborough, they're sitting about 45 to 5.5% underpriced. Canterbury, of course, the one we keep banging on about, about 19% underpriced. And even Taranaki, about 3%. These are the ones we've been saying, even over the last year, that these are where the opportunities are going to be over the next couple of years. And these are the ones that I'm particularly interested in. We also saw a data release from QV. Again, there, enormous house price increases. Same sort of thing as Ryan, so I won't delve into it too much. But there was a comment from the general manager there, David Nagel, talking about a shift in where price pressures are from the bottom end of the market going into the top end of the market. So previously, the bottom end of the market has been incredibly tight. That's because that's where investors are more likely to be playing at the cheaper end of the market. And that's where they're finding it out with first home buyers. Now, as investors start to leave the market, where I'm going to be seeing more price pressure is probably at that top end of the market. That's where I'm picking it's going to become even more increasingly competitive. Now, why might that be? Well, first of all, investors typically aren't going to be buying multi-million dollar properties. That's not the sort of thing that makes or not the sort of property that makes a good investment. And so the government changes that are coming in are probably not going to affect that sort of the market. But at the same time, we still have those stimulatory factors, those ones that are pushing up house prices, low interest rates, and importantly, a potentially booming economy. So as we move out of a recessionary period, as we start to see the economy opening up and we have more tourism in here, I'm expecting we're going to see business sentiment improve. We're going to see employment increase even further. And that is going to disproportionately help out that top end of the market, business owners, people who are investing significantly. And as we see that catchment of society improving or doing well over the next couple of years, that is going to translate into the ability to make an aspirational purchase, to bid up house prices at that top end of the market. So I'm picking we're going to see quite strong price increases or pressures at the top end of the market, more so than we would have seen at the lower end of the market. So I believe we are going to see a change of where we see that price pressure. The other thing that's important to note over the last couple of weeks is the Reserve Bank did come out with another monetary policy statement. Look, not a lot changed. And when I say not a lot changed, I mean nothing changed. So the OCR is still at 0.25%. The large-scale asset purchasing program is still at full blaze, as is the funding for lending program. Now, the key thing I want to say here is that because the government has come out with quite strong regulation around investors, I am seeing there being less pressure on the Reserve Bank to come out and regulate interest-only loans or to put on further restrictions on investors because we are already seeing that existing investment properties or competition for existing investment properties from investors is going to be significantly less, or that's what we're expecting to see. Now, the key takeaway there is we are expecting to see interest rates lower for longer. And so if you're making a decision about your investment property for how long you're going to lock in your interest rate for, I think it's pretty safe to say that we're going to see mortgage interest rates continuing to be long over the long term. Again, one thing I keep on saying to people is it might feel like the economy is doing extraordinarily well, and it is compared to what we expected it to be 12 months ago. But when you're looking at the rhetoric, what the Reserve Bank is saying, they're saying, hey, the economy is doing well because we are 
acting in a stimulatory environment, because we are keeping interest rates low, because we are trying to prop up the liquidity of banks and ensuring that they've got the money to lend and ensuring that we keep mortgage interest rates low so that households have more money after they refix in order to be able to spend in the economy. So I don't believe that the fact that we're all sitting here feeling okay about our prospects, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to see interest rates rise, certainly in the short term. And again, that's one of the reasons why I think we're going to see a shift from price pressure being at the lower end of the market and going into the top end of the market. Now, hey, let's wrap it up there. But of course, we are going to be back again tomorrow. Andrew and I will be back in the studio together and we will be having a good time discussing what else is happening in the property market and discussing principles and concepts to help you be a property investor. But these are the key things I want to go through and talk about that I've been thinking about as I've been away for the last couple of days out of cell phone reception, coming back into it and seeing the key things that have changed. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really helps us get the message out to more people. And don't forget that we have a webinar coming up this Tuesday. We're talking about how to cash flow hack your property portfolio using a renovations-based strategy in order to beat these government tax changes. Now, tap or swipe over the cover art. I'll drop a link into the show notes so you can sign up or just go to opuspartners.co.nz. Hope to see you there. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight, and we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.